face right now. I've got no money. I I'm sorry. I'm terrible at this job. Welcome to TARDIS Talk, where each week we'll be taking you through our assorted thoughts and feelings on a series from the revived era of Doctor Who. It's the final episode of our new Who reviews. I can't believe we've done that many episodes so far, but there we go. Uh, this week we uncover the Doctor's hidden past with plenty, and I mean plenty, of surprises in store through Series 12 and Fugitive of the Jadoon. I'm Chris, and with me as per usual is Matt and Cook. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Greetings. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So, Series 12 and Fugitive of the Jadoon. So we'll talk about the episode to start off with. Um, this is like, I, I don't think since the show came back in 2005, I've ever had an episode that has had so many full-on WTF moments for me. I, You know, the amount, you could have scraped me off the floor by the, well, off the ceiling actually, you scraped my jaw off the floor and the rest of me off the ceiling by the end of that episode. Um, and of course, I'm talking about the big Jack reveal, and then the big, you know, fugitive Doctor reveal. Wow! Yeah, I could agree with that. Amazing episode, truly. Um, last week we spoke how much about our, our sheer disdain for Series Eleven and, and the direction that that um, Doctor Who was going, um, directorially, uh, casting stuff like that. We weren't overly overly confident with it. I feel strongly um, that they came half the heels of some negative kind of press. Well, I'm not even negative press, just negative kind of fandom around that and did something about it. Is that fair to say? Don't leave me in suspense, guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> so I'll move past him for a second. Yes, I, yeah. yeah I completely... <laughs> Sorry, I was, gonna... I was waiting for the anticipation to see his reaction because um, I think you and me both know what he's like. Um, but I agree. So I think that there is a lot more depth in this season and there's a lot more... Uh, there's a lot more times and payoffs. I mean, particularly again, we talk about Future of the Jadoon. It's definitely worth watching twice. Oh, I'm the rest. You start to pick up. Well, yeah. I have, when I I have watched. Sorry, I have watched this episode seven, including today's viewing, seventeen times. That's the but, most watched episode of Doctor Who I've ever watched. But what I mean is, it's the type of episode where I watched it once again with all the twists and turns that we said we've already talked about very briefly. Yeah. Uh, and then it's one of the more few ones that I went no, and I watched it again straight away afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Same here. I, I just completely. It's just. I mean. All right. Without completely fanboying over over the revelations and the surprises and stuff like that, let's break it down. So obviously the whole thing is basically a return of a classic um, monster. Is this the first classic monster we've had come back in Chibnall's run? Oh no, of course it won't be because we had the Dalek, didn't we, in um, the Christmas yeah. special. Um, so this is obviously the Jadoon, which is kind of like a return of the Jadoon from the RCD era. Um, they look beautiful in this I thought it was I thought it was CGI. I was absolutely gobsmacked when I found out it was prosthetics. The the you know where the where the Jadoon's speaking and their mouths are moving and stuff. I was absolutely gobsmacked when I found out that was that was just complete animatronics. But again, not just from the animatronics point of view as well, because they look fantastic. But again, it's another great example of how they use effects really, really well. Mm. Again, talking about the spaceship, the tractor beam, the yeah. enforcement field, all of it looks really, really good. Oh yeah, they literally sinking the money into it. Carrying on from Series Eleven, the visuals are just 
mm. amazing, really, aren't they? Yes. I think that's, it seems like that's where the budget's definitely going. Oh, hugely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've definitely outsourced. I don't know. I never looked this up since we recorded the last episode. Um, I don't know who's doing the visuals at this point. I don't know. I don't think the mill are doing it anymore. But yeah, wow. You know, just really stunning stuff. All the little things as well. Um, that little shot of the time vortex at the start as the TARDIS is whizzing through and when that little old woman gets fried <laughs> by the enforcement field. Just Not so... the thing I'm into laugh at. Well, no, but it was quite funny though, wasn't it? I mean, that's another perfect thing about Fugitive of the Jadoon. The comedy is on point. It, the pacing is amazing. The comedy is amazing. The drama is amazing. It is, it is the perfect Doctor Who episode in terms of, you know, bam, 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 laugh, bam, 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 laugh, bam, 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 laugh. And it, Obviously, I'm really happy to see that the June have the June, sorry have upgraded June. from uh, a sharpie marking echoes on people's hands to a stamping device. <laughs> I do yeah, love that. They, apparently, uh, English is now the human language, not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not just Earth English is human. <laughs> Assimilating language. I love the June. No, they're a great concept, aren't they? Basically, space police. Um, yeah, so, and of course it turns out that they're after somebody, and it turns out that, that somebody is a um, person who has had their mind wiped and all that business, and then it turns out that it's actually the Doctor, an incarnation we've never seen before. So we won't talk about that specifically at the moment, we'll talk about the episode. So much happens at the start, which completely belies the direction the episode's going to go, <clears throat> Excuse me, which is where I think the masterpiece in this episode storytelling comes from. If you it, you said a minute ago, Matt, about the rewatch, you don't notice all the hidden little things like Ruth's watch at the very, yeah. very start, like the blue on it signifying the TARDIS, or even possibly the shape of a sonic screwdriver on a, on a watch, and all these little things that could possibly signify something later on, you know, foreshadowing. It's perfectly done. Cook, you really don't like series 11. You're not a big fan of series 12. Did you like this episode? I did like this episode. There are a lot of jump out out your seat moments. Oh, yeah. I was watching it with my best friend, and we were just shouting, basically, at this point. Especially when Jack comes back. Oh, Um, Christ, yeah. Because that was a genuine surprise. I know the the Ruth stuff had sort of been rumoured and leaked a little bit before then. So I was kind of anticipating that. Um... I am, I was pleasantly and still am pleasantly surprised with how that particular aspect of this story, specifically this story, turned out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very specifically <laughs> this this particular story. Um, it feels weird because we just talk about Future of the Dune, and of course you're referring to the Tanda's Child and the stuff that comes later on. In my mind, Future of the Jadoon is a completely different era or a different a different series to all of the other stuff that comes on later and i don't know why my brain always disassociates the two there's no break or pause or anything it's all one consistent thing um i've completely forgot about the jack stuff uh obviously john barrowman repri- reprising his role um and creating that kind of like tangible law link between you know the old stuff and the new i say the old stuff by this point it's the old stuff the old stuff and the new stuff when he came back wow you know a million Hoovians across the country watching at that moment in time, their ears went, that voice. <laughs> you know, when he, well, when, he, when he first comes in. Literally the exact reaction. You just sit there thinking, hang on a second. And then he thought, <laughs> no, it can't be him. That can't be him. What? No, yeah. And then your brain starts going, no, you're just wishing it's him. It's not going to be him. It's just going to be someone else with an American accent and you're going to look like an idiot when you get really excited about it. And then he comes in and he's like, ah, did you miss me? And at that point, 
million Havians across the country, across the world, went, yeah! <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Mm. Yeah. No, I really, really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the, the surprises within that episode. There are... This, this is definitely the series of the surprises, isn't it? Hugely. This is what I'm saying. I think... I think Because um, we're... Uh, not to kind of like go into too much detail on the series at the moment, but I, I think Chris Chibnall maybe looked at series 11 and thought, nah, people, there were certain things about it people didn't like. I'm going to bring out the big guns at this point, um, shake it up a little bit, reveal the master reveal, Jack reveal the fugitive doctor and the timeless child and his plan for all of that. So, yeah, I guess. Were the Cybermen always going to be in it? I can't recall if they were announced. There was filming pictures of them uh, quite a while before. But there was was there any... What are the episode titles therein? Uh, well, there's The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which has the lone Cyberman. Yeah. And then they have Ascension of the Cybermen. So, oh yeah, fair enough. So we know they're going to be in it at that point. But of course, the, the reason I'm referencing that is because they're obviously mentioned by name in this particular episode so Fugitive of the Jadoon does so much in terms of revelations and of course the next big revelation is when Ruth takes the Doctor to her family family lighthouse and she breaks that glass and the regeneration energy just starts pouring out and at that point you're like wow it's a Time Lord, big shock meanwhile the Doctor's outside digging up the TARDIS and you're like what? and then she turns around and you've got that beautiful staged shot of uh, fugitive Ruth, so Ruth Doctor, Fugitive Doctor, whatever you want to call her, in her amazing outfit, apparently touting a gun, because that's what her Doctor does, um, just sassing the crap out of that scene. Uh, uh, perfect, 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 perfect. Um, yeah, it's hard to kind of like talk about about that whole kind of like storyline, because it's not completed yet. Obviously, this is the last episode we're going to record, you know, reviewing New Who. So it's hard for us to kind of like cast you... judgment on. Well, I was going to say explicitly on 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 Ruth's position in things because we don't know whether or not that is literally verbatim what we've been told. Are you specifically referring to like the division plotline? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. All of that on. sort of stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a really cool concept, and I love the idea of exploring ancient Gallifreyan type stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm, I, I am intrigued to see where that goes. I'm with you on that, uh, and as we'll talk about later, I'm not so hot on the timeless child aspect, but we'll, we'll touch on that yeah. in, in a bit. Um. This again, though, this episode is just fan bloody tastic. I think it does a lot, a lot well. Um. The, the soundtrack is phenomenal. This has got one of my favourite ever uh, scores from Doctor Who in it. You know, I can't remember it's called now, but it's the bit where the where she's digging up the TARDIS. Uh, it's just like puts the hairs, you know, on end on the arms every it's time. It's also I... just like the really um, heavy, like beaty type music when it pans over through to the Jadoon ship, mm. and there's that sequence where it's barking orders, marching through, and then. Very yeah. sort of militaristic, isn't it? Very sort of. Yeah, it's yeah. what you mentioned last week when you were talking about the bombastic. It's that. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of Maury Gold coming through. Um, but again, I think, and when we when we talk about the episodes, when we talk about sort of um, subverting expectations, you know, it sets itself up to be a very much uh, 
another Jadoon episode, you know, where it's just we're going down, we're finding a fugitive who's hiding, looking like a human. And all of that is, although it's all very good, and I don't want to do that from what we talked about with the Jadoon being fantastic, with the effects being fantastic, with, again, it being the right blend of uh, pacing, humour, action, etc., it is just a mask for these twists and it is, because yeah. of how they set that up. You, I, again, I at no point you're watching that entire episode until, again, we got to the point where she's digging up the TARDIS and Ruth is restored. Um, did I think it was going to end like that? Because You were I, watching it live, um, were you? Uh, no, so I watched that episode live. My, but I, what I do is I, I always avoid uh, spoilers and website speculations and I go in completely as blind as I can to episodes. So that was really really unexpected for me, mm. the entire thing yeah likewise i i completely blocked out any form of kind of spoiler used beforehand so i didn't know what i was going in for which i think is probably the best way to do it isn't it but you're right i think that the misdirection say, when, in that episode when is being a friend with you you have to watch it live because you'll message immediately <laughs> <laughs> I, well, the reason I know I'm exactly I'm... the phenomenon you're referring to <laughs> i have also had this conundrum Matt. <laughs> are you talking about line of duty by any chance uh well no the doctor who actually oh doctor who yeah um yeah, no, I um, oh, I completely forgot what I was talking about. Bollocks! What was I saying? Don't Fugitive of the Jedi. Move on with something. <laughs> yeah, never mind. It'll come back to me. Um, oh, the comedy. Yeah, the comedy in this episode is brilliant. There's some great moments in it. There's some. I tell you what, actually, um, it's such a tiny bit of character, but it's brilliant. All ears, Alan, the cake shop owner. What a character! He's fantastic. He is fantastic. He's all, you know, basically, he's got a, a dossier on uh, on Ruth's boyfriend, Lee, or the Doctor's boyfriend, Lee. Um, yep, the Doctor had a boyfriend called Lee. We're not going to gloss over that. The Doctor once had a boyfriend called Lee. I still believe that that's the Master. Who, Lee? Yeah. <laughs> I've never well, heard that theory. Or after they got vaporised. No, it's, the, it's an ancient <laughs> of the Master. Is that some sort of dirty fanfic that you've... Got circulating oh, yeah, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Lee well, caressed Ruth's thigh. Before, it is now. <laughs> he said, "Is that a sonic screwdriver in your pocket? You're just pleased to see him." <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, though. He said, "Who's the master now?" <gasps> Plot twist. They're both time lords. <laughs> well, are they though? Well, yeah, he's got a bloody medal. Oh, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Service is yeah. the division. That's a very good he point. He did get, and again, I know it goes with the whole premise of the master's escapes and whatnot, but he did get vaporized on screen. Not the first time it's happened. Yeah, I know. Mm. But I'm just calling it out quickly. We're not actually legitimately discussing this, are we? <laughs> yes, we are. Because <laughs> if so... Um, yeah, I, weirder. I, I, I do love all ears. Alan, though, I think he's brilliant. He comes out with some great lines. And then, uh, what is it? I've written one of them down, but I can't find the bloody thing. He well, says, my favourite uh, thing that he does is when he switches the, the shop sign to clues, but the Jajun just stares yeah. at it for half a second. And just punches him and <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I just no. I just get a bit confused where he gives the to do the dossier and then obviously they knock the mugs off and he goes to push them. I mean, I wouldn't push an alien <laughs> if it was that in my face anyway. Yeah. Particularly not one that happened to look like a rhino. It's the little the little squeak what? of shock that the Jadoon gives out there when he does it. <laughs> I fucking love that. He goes to push it and it goes I didn't actually uh, notice that. Oh, what? Uh, Seriously? You have to go back and rewatch yeah, it. It gives yeah, it a squeak that, that of shock. Yeah, that squeak is fantastic. It's like a genuine excuse me. Yeah, that's brilliant. The Jadoon are fearsome it's in this not, one. Though. It's not really believable, though. Like, you, Nobody would push that alien unless they were like... Yeah, but to be fair, rhino-headed aliens taking over Gloucester's not believable either, mate. <laughs> 
I think you've got to take a pinch that's of salt not, with some No, of it's that. no, that's completely false equivalence. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It's out of character for someone who looks like that to be to behave and like that. Yeah. The old lady charged at them. She ran up to them first. An old lady wouldn't do that if a bunch of black leaded seven, like leather leaded seven foot figures. Well, if it makes you feel better, she learned the hard way, didn't she? She first of all had her yeah, knitting, she got knitting a taken away deserve. from her, <laughs> and then she, she deserved it. How dark. How incredibly dark. But no, Fugitive of the Jadoon, I think, is Which like pipe down. one of the yeah, I think it's one of the strongest episodes uh in a long time of Doctor Who in a long, long time. And I'm talking about Capaldi, Smith, Tannen, I think it does you know the reveal of the war doctor in um uh to, oh god, name of the yeah, doctor. That has nothing on this. Really, uh, no, it? exactly. This blows every shock surprise reveal out of out of so I you know, I could sit we could sit down, we have done, I could sit down all night and slag off Chris Chibnall's direction of Doctor Who and the area he wants to take the show as we'll talk about later, and I could sit here and, and criticise Jodie Whittaker's portrayal of the Doctor, blah 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 blah. but between the pair of them I don't know, they were on their A-game during that filming, because Jodie Whittaker in that block is just perfect as well you know, I, I, this is where I was saying last week um, she has these moments Hang on. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> Which block are you talking about? As in, like, the um, specifically probably the first few episodes of, of uh, Series 12. So, but I'm talking about Fugitive of the Jadoon. So there's a moment in Fugitive of the Jadoon where um, she snaps at the, at, the, at the companions. She tells them to mind their own business. And then again, at the end of the episode, she ba- I can't remember what the context is, but she basically tells them it's got nothing to do with them or something. You're just you're just a, a copper or something. And and she, she basically has a go at them. That's what I want to see out of the Doctor. I want to see the Doctor being angry and dark. And we get it a few times through Series 12, but we specifically get it a few times in this episode. And I think that's because the Doctor is given something more tangible to do on her own, separated from her team, than she has done in the past when she's got them hanging over her like a bad smell. Because don't forget, basically, like, Graham's on his own with Jack for half the episode, and then Yaz and Ryan join him, and again, they're separated from the Doctor still, and all the Doctor has is to bounce off Ruth. And that works. I think Jodie Jody so, and Joe work perfectly. So in those do you remember moments. last week when Matt's fault locator was that Jodie would work better as a companion? Yeah. This is why because I think she's better as a companion to mm-hmm. Ruth's Doctor than she is as the Doctor herself. Oh, do you know what? I hate to say it, but I agree I agree with you both on that. Um, Excellent. I said it first. I take all the credit. But I, I, I feel horrible saying this as a Doctor Who fan, because I really don't want to besmirch Jodie Whittaker's um, performance or anything like that. I know, I know we have done <laughs> pretty harshly. <laughs> I, don't want, I, don't, I don't enjoy saying these things. I don't... <laughs> It's not like a domestic sort of. <laughs> Moving on. We um, no, will continue what... until morale improves. <laughs> I but, just... but what I will say is, and I think you you really hit the point as well uh, earlier, Chris, when we we're talking about the fact that she had a really good, really good moment at the end. And I said this last week as well, which is around the fact that she does emotional range very good, and I think that's because of Jodie Whittaker's background. Yeah. And. And actually, you know, even this is probably the more interesting parts of her playing the Doctor that could have continued. And she did have a couple of, um, uh, as you stated previously, techno babble in this episode. 
but it was really really light and because it wasn't mm. so obvious i think she pulls it off much better she was yeah. def- she's much she's definitely much stronger this season than last season and this is a great episode of her playing to her strengths yeah 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 you're right i think on occasion she does sound like she's regurgitating a fan dictionary of all the doctor who you know lexicon um, in this instance, I think because the techno bubble's quite light, yeah, she can get away with it. It's not heavy duty. It doesn't look like she's chewing a wasp when she's trying to get these words out. Um, but just to go back to the point you were both making about about how she kind of like works well with with Joe Martin, yeah, I think you're right. Joe Martin still scenes. So all right, well, let, let's move on to character talk then. Joe Martin is the fugitive Doctor, the Doctor we never had. Albe briefly. Can say, do we want to talk about um, the fugitive Doctor first, or do we want to talk about Ruth first? Well, the same thing really, aren't they? Let's talk about Ruth as a character then, before we move into the Fugitive Doctor. So Ruth then as a character. Um, that's an interesting sort of take, isn't it? You know, uh, Whereas John Smith hadn't really gotten to the point where he'd married What's-Her-Face. Um, Ruth is there and she's been embedded some, for some time, hasn't she? In her undercover well, life. Apparently. Um, well, I suppose uh, yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Well, like, 1999, he said. Yeah, but how much? How much of that is embedded memories, thanks to the chameleon arch, and how much? Wow, of that that's is a very good point. Out? And that's the question, Mark. That's a very, my name's not Mark, it's Chris. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know. Then I don't. I don't know whether or not we're led to believe if that's that's actually a fabrication or not. Um, and was she? I'm sure a big finish will there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that can't always be our solution, guys. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think because there's so many questions hanging over all that sort of stuff, it'd be it'd be pointless for us to spend the next half hour speculating on it. But I think I think like I suppose the reason why I wanted to to separate the two hour we talk about the fugitive doctor versus Ruth is because is because of that that split again. Like again after. Uh, Ruth is restored to the fugitive doctor. There's that very distinct difference again of Ruth is very much is very very human and yeah has those moments where sort of uh, muscle memory or the or the doctor personality does shine through. Mm-hmm. Um, but even again, it's the horror and the confusion that follows it. Yeah, which and you see I when think both characters are very believable characters. And hugely, she's, she's got a great range. Hugely, hugely, hugely. Joe Martin is a phenomenal actress. When it comes to portraying the Doctor, um, I have... ran as well, which uh, makes a difference. So it really you. does. She's a fan of Doctor Who. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. She's. I, 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 we've we've been across this before, haven't we? When we've just had these conversations about Jodie Whittaker's never really kind of watched Doctor Who, and she never grew up with it because she's about the same age as, as me. So it was. I happened to catch the tail end of it as a kid because my older brother was watching it, and that's how I got into it in the eighties. But and she never really watched it as, as a kid or anything, and then it was off air for a long time, so she never really got into it. But if Joe Martin, who's a little bit older anyway, probably caught it, I guess what you're saying makes sense. She's, she, you know, she's been a fan of it, perhaps. As a result, maybe that would make sense. Um, but she just, she just owns her scenes, doesn't she? When she becomes the Doctor, she, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I told you, love, I'm the Doctor. It's just like she's just like I would not argue with the Doctor if she was like that. You know, she she goes into a scene and she can command it, and especially when you know that specific part where she's telling the Jadoon that she hasn't committed a crime, mm. and she's just rattling off these facts that <laughs> yeah, the tower walk freighter going at eighty million clicks an hour or whatever it is, yeah, interstellar space. Like, yeah. Well, that's that then. We're not going to argue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas 
unfortunately, I think if you saw the 13th Doctor trying to do that, it wouldn't carry the same gravitas. It would yeah. just feel a little... It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're trying to compare these two incarnations of the Doctor together. They're fundamentally um, different, though, aren't they? They are, aren't they? I mean, kind of apples and oranges. They do effectively talk about something. In, it's touching on a side of the Doctor that has never, ever, ever been dealt with before. Um, and, and it's just something incredibly different. There were rumours that, or there were speculations that, in terms of placement, the Fugitive Doctor was going to come between three and four, um, between John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Um I'm glad that they didn't do that because they've done it once before and it would have felt cheap just to retread that old trope again of oh, there's a secret incarnation between X and Y. Um, so I'm glad I appreciate them creating this cycle from before William Hartnell to an extent, to an extent. Um, but talking about Joe Martin, I just I love her TARDIS as well. Her TARDIS is the sex. That desktop theme. We didn't talk about the TARDIS last week, did we? That's a fair point. Oh, God. I don't like the crystalline desktop. I just don't like it. I just find it... So... Me and Matt have a very specific and shared opinion on this. Yeah, and do do you mind if I take the light for this bit or do you want to explore it? Cool. So when we, you know, particularly when she steps into the TARDIS for the first time, you get to see that wall and all the gears and the layers and the levels behind it. And again, then it starts to pans around and you get to see this, this space she walks in. And then you hit the pillars. And this is long story short where we've got the problem with it. The space itself is actually lovely. The colours are fantastic. I actually even like the console, even the camera being the, the large central crystal piece. But those giant orange pillars take up so much of the space that it suddenly feels claustrophobic as opposed to really taking advantage of the crystalline console i'm with you on the palette i love the color scheme and i love the ambience i just despise the crystalline aspect i hate the time rotor i hate the upturned face hugger arms the whole crystal thing just to me just seems bleh i just don't i just don't get it the little spinning clear police box as well on the console what the hell is that all about that, that, what, that's nitpicking. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a hoovian, aren't I? I'm going to nitpick. The fucking thing dispenses custard creams every time she pulls the dematerialization lever. <laughs> I mean, I wish that it had lever that gave me custard creams. The first thing here is that we're not seeing 13 pack on the pounds each season. <laughs> <laughs> I want crumbs over the console every single time. That's their metabolism for you. But no, comparing that to Joe Martin's TARDIS, Joe Martin's TARDIS is very classic. It's um, it's obviously the rehash of the Clara and uh, me TARDIS, isn't it? The dug Not it really, out. Of... They're completely different. No, as in like the they dug it out from the set and, and dressed it up with you know new bits and bobs. It's got the Randalls and same, all that sort of stuff. It's the same console, but the the room's completely different. Yeah, well, I mean, essentially, it's just a very classic looking TARDIS as opposed yeah, to this I mean, very they, kind of alien looking like, one that they've got now. But I love that looking thing. Let's build. There. So, I mean, we, we slip dangerously into speculation territory at some point. But before we do that, because I, I, I'm keeping very, a very keen eye on the time on this week's episode because I've got so much to pack into it. Let's just quickly talk about the TARDIS team because, of course, this is the series where um, uh, Ryan and Graham depart in the New Year special that um, follows series 12, obviously. Um so the TARDIS team at this point, 
again, they get they do get a little bit more to do, but I still don't see that much in in what what goes on. Um, I see I see Yaz pushing over, trying to run away from a giant race of alien scorpions, and the best thing she can do is push over a stall of bread to get in their way. <laughs> In, in the Nikola Tesla, uh, Nikola Tesla, Tesla, uh, Tesla yeah. episode. Do you know the bit I'm talking about where she's being chased? Yeah, she turns around in the street and pushes over the tiniest stall as if that's going to well, stop them. I vaguely remember that in between falling asleep. I just don't have much of a love for for the the, the existing companions. Unfortunately, I, I do think they get more to do in this in this particular series. Um, it's just still still not enough. Um, well, there's a bit in Spyfall, isn't there, where they split up and you know, Yaz and Ryan get tasks like they're interviewing Lenny Henry. Like they they're used a little bit better, um, as rather than just as expository mouthpieces. I, I swear to God, you just said ex-suppository, but okay, yeah, I know what you're saying, expository. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. They do get to to do a, a little bit more stuff in this one. Um, but again, I don't think it feels. It does to me. It doesn't feel like it's much of a change for them. It's all very same, same on samey street. Fundamentally, it's not really like we've had Ryan and we've had them for two seasons now, and you'd think you'd feel a little bit more uh, on yeah. any emotion towards them. But there's just not really a lot. I mean, Ryan and Graham left, and that's okay. We do see a bit more of an evolution in the in the Doctor, though, don't we? I suppose to some extent, because obviously everything that the character is going through, all the way through from the revelation of the Master and the destruction of Gallifrey in the opener, to uh, the revelation of the Timeless Child in the closer, um, the Thirteen is going through quite a bit. I don't think it reflects correctly. I still think that. 13 would have reacted or the doctor would have reacted significantly differently having found out what she found out um but i do she does have those moments the talk about the pyramid it's not a flat team structure it's a it's a pyramid and i'm at the top or it's a mountain and i'm at the top in um villa villa was the haunting of dear darcy yeah that's a great moment you know she's got those moments where you're like wow 13 does have balls after all and I mentioned the other bits. And then never again. <laughs> but yeah, that's the problem. Is It's inconsistent, I think. Um, it feels like it doesn't carry on. Whereas, again, I've, I mentioned last week, I see a lot of similarities between um, the Seventh Doctor and the Thirteenth Doctor. Although the difference being, the Seventh Doctor just big was consistent. McCoy found his dark groove... Um, and uh, Andrew Cartmel found his direction for where the Doctor needed to go in this kind of like um, Machiavellian type kind of scheming type direction and he went consistently with it and that Doctor was always quite kind of dark and brooding and a game player unfortunately I think at the moment in series 12 Jodie Whittaker has these moments sorry the 13th Doctor has these moments and she consistently kind of like throws her all into them but then they're overshadowed by weird kind of changes in character which seem to fit the story but not the overgoing arc if that makes sense yeah but i think the problem here is something which um uh, which cook has uh, mentioned a few uh, in a few episodes now which is jodie whittaker didn't go back from, from what we know and what we've read she didn't go back and read up and learn about the character so yeah. I don't think she was able to allegedly that properly on screen. Yeah, yeah, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably it. That's 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 probably it. Um, again, I think it also suffers in some respects 
on the characters' part that each episode was written differently. Um, and perhaps they weren't aware, perhaps the writers weren't aware of Chris Chibnall's um, overall plan for this big revelation for the Doctor. So the the tone of each episode for the Doctor's character. Um, I, let's remember the sequence of events then, because the Doctor finds the Master again in Spyfall Part 1. Another jump out your seat moment really wasn't it oh that was great yeah that was another amazing moment i was sat there watching that with my wife and uh she was like what what is the matter with you this time because basically whenever (laughs) watching doctor who and i I go i physically go on the edge of the seat and i'm like panting and getting all excited um and she was like what's the matter with you this time clearly the master's tardis outside no that's slow that was a really cool shot yeah and i loved how just wacky it was the TARDIS was literally just a like screen sat on a kitchen table <laughs> in the yeah. second part yeah yeah no absolutely brilliant um so she 13th Doctor revelation of Gallifrey being destroyed by episode 2 and then by episode 3 or 4 basically the point of fugitive of the Jadoon finds out there's this whole missing part of her life she didn't know about potentially and then, and then at that point, we've then got the gap, haven't we? So a f- set of episodes all the way up to the point of it, the finale, yeah. essentially, where suddenly it all comes to fruition. Um, and she's gone back to Gallifrey, and the revelation occurs that she's part of this big conspiracy where she's not actually Gallifrey, and she's something else. And Gallifrey is based on, you know, the Time Lords are based on her biology and all that stuff so <laughs> I, I reined it in there you're proud of me yeah <laughs> i was shaking um so i think it's, uh, it's it's again it's an interesting one because i i remember uh, the the hours we spent speculating when we got to the end of the um ascension of the cyberman episode mm. and talking about what the finale was actually going to be about yeah uh, and and yeah, it was just like you said. There's a lot of of trying to cram in solutions to that final episode, which either they could have spread again stuff stuff we spoke about before. It could have been spread out. There's tons of other ways they could have got that information across without going down the uh, without without you know falling into the old age problem well, of telling the audience the solution instead of showing them. I'm talking specifically in this case though about 13's reaction to these life changing events. I'm talking specifically about her reaction to Gallifrey being destroyed again. She gets moody about that, and then she seemingly forgets about about it by Nikola Tesla episode, and then and it's then it's just odd one, isn't it? Because a lot of the arcs usually have something like sp- sprinkled in all of the episodes, whereas yeah. in this case we've got massive information dump. That's it. That's exactly filler episode, it. Filler episode. Do, massive do we, information dump. Do we think then episode. that Chris Chibnall can't write season arcs? Well, we have no evidence to. We have no frame of reference for it because he didn't in series eleven. But he did and in series, series twelve, and it didn't really do it, did it? I, is that how he'd do it all the time? Because I. This is why I think it would be of his benefit to have a much more. Um, well, series eleven and series episodic. twelve are linked, aren't they? 
because the timeless child is mentioned in ghost monument which we reviewed last week and it's never referenced again until series 12 where it's suddenly thrown down your throat like a big fat something or other so yeah i find it really mm. we spoke about Broadchurch last time i I don't think any of us watched it but it's apparently it's a big hit isn't it really yeah really big drama yeah Yeah, and i heard great things i think it would have have suited Chibnall's strengths better to have had a series arc which joins up each episode, yeah. Rather than Doctor Who has this format where you have to loosely be able to go anywhere and do anything, yeah. But I don't think that's restricted to having the episodes not follow each other. Yeah, I that's think, a good point. I think, I think you can do both. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. There's one other point about the the 13s character just before we kind of go off because we are slightly skewing off onto the conversation of, of series 12 as a series there. Um, there is a specific part, though, that just destroys the Doctor's character, and it is horrible, and it's awful, and it's the worst thing I think the Doctor's ever done. And people can argue the toss about this all they want, but I will die on this hill if I have to. And, I'm, of course, I'm referring to the episode. I can never remember the title of it. I think it's the, the one of the penultimate ones about mental health. And it's where at the closing <laughs> moments, Graham is yeah. trying to say to the Doctor, I'm, 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 you know... I, I, I won't make light of this because it really does upset me that they wrote the Doctor as a character like this. They they say, um, Graham says to the Doctor, I'm scared of my cancer coming back, you know. And she says, I'm quite awkward, so I'm just going to move over here now. The thing that gets me about it's this just, is... It's just... <sighs> well, it's like I said last week, the, the, a fundamental part of the Doctor is that they are compassionate. Even the grumpy ones. Yeah. Um, have been compassionate. The doctor, the war doctor, fought a war to end, like, to, to the destruction of his own people to stop the rest of the universe from hurting. Like, yeah. I mean, you say well, William Hartnell was going to stove in a caveman's head in his opening scene, but I mean, <laughs> but he, I mean, I, I've seen a, scene, there's, but... there's also a clip where he says he uses violence early in self-defense. Yeah, but he was younger I mean, then. He was like he was like over a thousand years younger than than thirteen is at this point. So he's he's had a li- he's had lifetimes to evolve. I mean, the yeah, also it's just the... an insult to the Doctor to do that. The thing that you're referring to is the BBC actually had to respond to this, didn't they? Because yeah. of the backlash. I get why their, they... Their justification was something along the lines of the, the doc, they wanted to highlight um, the the plight of the socially anxious, basically, within yeah. the Doctor's character traits. And I, I don't think this needed to happen to do that. It I didn't. think it's quite obvious this is a socially anxious Doctor. She couldn't... She, she physically couldn't bring herself to ask her companions to join her. Um, yeah, it's quite obvious that she isn't uh, an out. She, well, she's not. She is kind of outspoken, but she's not confident in the way that other incarnations have been. It belittles the so character. The, yeah, and the other problem with particularly that scene in particular that we're talking about is that, and again, I I have friends who suffer with quite bad levels of anxiety as well. And at no point when they have said something before that has made me uncomfortable have I backed away and left my friends feeling like they couldn't approach me in the future because mm. we're not just talking about the fact that's the doctor as a character we're talking about how two people who are friends react to each other yeah i mean if and i was badly portrayed on screen that scene if i was graham and the doctor had said that to me i'd be like i can't trust this person 
Not that I can't Absolutely. trust them, but I would be like, I don't have any faith in this it person. Would shake they you, it, it would shake you, wouldn't it? It would really shake you. And there's, there's no reflection on that either. It's it's just badly written. It's just badly, badly written. And it really, really disappointed me in the direction of um, the, 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 the Doctor's character for that particular season. But yeah, I, 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 for that though, there are there were some positive uptakes in, in the Doctor's personality in that series. And that's why I really like series 12. It felt like it was a step in the right direction um, in that particular area anyway. It's is slightly less moralizing, I think, in that series as well. Who, Christian? No, the thirteenth Doctor is portrayed as a paragon of virtue, no matter what her decision is. Well, you say that possibly one of the most insulting, ram it down your throat, virtue signalling, the, the whole meta message at the end of um, Good God, what's it called? Often fifty-five. Often fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's not even on the nose. That's I'm going to take your nose off and I'm going to set fire to it. That's that's full 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 breakneck speed um, moralising that isn't it when when she turns to the camera and she's like you lot need to sort yourselves out blah 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 crumpets so mm. yeah series 12 then series 12 it writes some wrongs for series 11 um, and it does quite a, good, a lot of good things as well and, and wrongs some rights oh yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we're going to We'll, we'll speed through series 12 so we can talk about the, the elephant in the room in, in quite a bit of detail um, series 12 I think there's some great episodes Spyfall, fantastic, Christ do you remember when that opened uh, when that I started that we spoke to each other didn't we as soon as the episode finished and we were all like thank god Doctor Who's back on form is yeah. back yeah, we were like where the hell did that come from yeah. <laughs> where, I think that's where we first discussed the fact actually of uh, they've listened I think that's yeah. the first time we had that conversation of we feel like the you know, they've listened to the fans' complaints, yeah. or not complaints, sorry, the fans' worries. Yeah. Jodie Whittaker was on form, the story was brilliant, the action was great, the pacing was amazing, it was boom, 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 boom. And then part two was all right, we, there was no area of concern. Again, Gallifrey had been destroyed, and we were like, uh, but yeah. it, it was consistent, you know, in terms of like the storytelling from the first part. And I think the series from that point was kind of like that, wasn't it? What came after Spyfall part two? Fourth and fifty-five. <laughs> right. So this. Cook, take us away. Yeah. But Benny. Benny. <laughs> Benny. It's a shit story. Moving on. Yeah. It, yeah. Orphan fifty-five. Terrible. Terrible story with a really horrible moral message. Terribly delivered. There anything you can do any better than that? I suppose. The only thing I do enjoy is the concept of orphan planets, but um, I mean, they the, they could have written a better episode about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Completely agree. It just I'd, I'll never watch the episode ever again. But that's no, fair play. That's, yeah. What was after Orphan Fifty Five? Nikola Tesla's Night of. I really enjoy that. You didn't know. I fell asleep the second time I watched it. Yeah, my... I don't think I could watch it a second time, but I really enjoyed it. What it was. Um. It was just okay. I mean, that one was quite a heavy-handed message of Tesla is good, Nick, Nick uh, Thomas Edison is bad. <laughs> yeah, it was never quite that clear-cut in reality, but yeah, yeah. Um, I just quite liked the, the story. It was it was good fun. Um, just some good bits in it. it was, action was alright. You know, uh, it wasn't the Ragnos. They weren't even re- mentioned, were they? I don't think so. Even though it was clearly the Ragnos design, but yeah, strange, strange. <laughs> 
decision not to reference them or have them kind of linked in any way. Um, what was after that then? Well, Fugitive of the Dadoon. Okay, so yeah. And then after Fugitive... Um, uh, an episode. Praxius. That's the one, thank you. Praxius. That's Plastic one episode. Is bad. Yeah, that's one episode I can probably never really remember because there's just nothing to it. Um, well, you mean you haven't seen the three girls roaming blog? No. Or two girls roaming or whatever it is. No, what's that? It's two of the oh, characters. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going down a horrible two girls one cup type scenario then I was starting to God. panic a little bit I was like, what the hell is the context here okay fair enough um, oh yeah I just googled two girls roaming I'm glad it came up with something a bit more okay fair enough um, what was after Praxius then um, oh, can you hear me finger in the ear uh, yeah I think I can hear you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then of course we had our finales didn't we at that point we we had yeah haunting and then ascension and then yeah, time yeah. haunting's a good horror story um it does horror well haunting uh mm-hmm. the cyberman in that ashad is seriously creepy um he's an actual character in that unlike the next two episodes ah uh, when he's just relegated to bit part bad guy with absolutely no well he just gets the the doctor explains his character to him and then he says yes and then yeah, that's, that's literally all that. Okay, so that's that's that series kind of like covered in general. There's some good stories and there's a couple of shit ones. That's basically it. We can't really add anything to it on that. I think that's a fair assumption, isn't it? I'm going to very quickly kind of steer the conversation back to one thing that we haven't discussed, and that's Sasha Dowen's master. Of course, the master comes back. Big revelation. Amazing. I think he was brilliantly done in Spyfall one and two. But he, well, I say that. I do. I do like Sasha Dowen's master. I just think he's a little bit overly... He's a little bit too Joker to be the master. I I prefer subdued villains anyway. Um, yeah. They're a bit more menacing. Rather and he's than... not that. He's very crazy, isn't he? He's a loose cannon. Yeah. Um, which is fine. He does it. He does the he job does it. well. Oh, he does. It's just, oh, yeah, I'm not criticising not... that. I just... It's not the characterization of the master that I personally enjoy, but it's not—it's yeah. it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, and just like we we're talking about with um with Joe Martin as well, the the sheer range of acting skills as he switches between sort of his uh his persona that he's established at the beginning versus yeah. how he actually then wants to play the master is fantastic. That that scene get... <laughs> when yes. he reveals. Have either of you guys seen um oh what's that film? What's that that series called on Netflix? Um, where American American series set in heaven. A good place. Good place. A good place. Yes, I love that show. That's exactly place. you know Ted Danson's reveal at the end of the first series, and he does that grin, and then clicks, and it'll yeah, and then it, it, yeah. Well, it turns out that actually he is actually hell, and he's actually a devil. Sorry, spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I that, love that. that show. Is exactly... I've not seen it. I'm not going to watch it now. That is exactly. You, should, you really need to watch it. It's like a 20 minute com- comedy type episode. That is actually that is that is exactly like uh, the master reveal, you know, O becoming the master on the plane when yeah. he does that, that that grin crosses his face and you're like, oh my god, amazing. But Sasha Darwin, yeah, I think he does the job well. It's just not my cup of tea in terms of that particular type of portrayal of the master. Like you say, I prefer him subdued. I like him quiet. And here comes my uh, plug. We need Charles Dance, the master. Immediately. Oh, you've been banging that drum for God knows how long. Uh, it's beneath him, Doctor Who, mate. 
Doctor Who's definitely beneath Charles Dance. God, you're right, isn't it? I say that he did actually play a really shit villain in a '90s film called Last Action Hero, but okay, Elephant in the Room time because we are going to take a bit of time talking about this, and I'm conscious of what we've got oh. left. <laughs> so obviously, the big point of Series Twelve was that it was addressing the Timeless Child story arc, and of course, the Timeless Child story arc is all about this kid who was abandoned. Um, at a weird anomaly and the founder of Gallifreyan society who we've never heard of before um, she found this child took the child back to Gallifrey and experimented on it after she found out that it couldn't die every time it, it died it would effectively as we now know regenerate it would change its physical appearance and blah 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 blah. and essentially Tectoon this scientist took this the details of this or the data or whatever of this of this kid and then forged the time lords out of the timeless child and the big reveal uh, the doctor is the timeless child so (sighs) i I love it up until the point where it says the doctor's the child yeah i'm with you on that spot Absolutely spot on. Is it that you don't like the fact that the Doctor is the Timeless Child, or is it the fact that you don't like being told the Doctor is definitely the Timeless Child? Both. I don't like being... Yeah, I'm both as well on that. Mm, I don't like being told that it's definitely the Timeless Child. I want the wiggle room to believe it or not. Yeah. Well, yeah, and this is kind of the, the point, which is that, again, even if I put everything else about my opinion on the story to one side, the the big problem here is that the this finale, there is a lot of, we're just going to tell you everything that happened. And this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And we get that a lot of exposition around yeah. this, as opposed to being shown or drawn out or hinted or speculated upon. And... Uh, again, you could if you if you were to watch particularly a lot of the episodes between the Doctor and the Master in that finale with your eyes shut, you'd lose out some fantastic visuals because you know the whole building up of Gallifrey and the Citadel is absolutely beautiful. Um, but you wouldn't learn, you wouldn't miss out on anything. You'd still learn the same information. Well, it can, the thing is, they they did show us what happened, but they did it through some stupid guise of a boy in Ireland. Why couldn't they have just shown us what happened? as in what actually happened well technically there's two different there's two different storylines we're talking about here are two different plot lines one is that the doctor has a a life before uh the first doctor's incarnation william hartnell's incarnation the other is that the doctor is this benevolent well not even benevolent is this unknowing godlike creature that gave the power to the time lords which managed to elevate them above all the species now um I don't like that about the Doctor. I don't like it. Regardless of whether or not the Doctor knows that is irrelevant, I don't like the, fa- the fact that the Doctor is the, is the linchpin in everything. I don't like the fact that the Doctor is the, the foundation of Time Lord society. I prefer the idea that the Doctor is just another Time Lord who'd had enough and ran away. Um, or maybe, as is alluded to, ran away because he was part of this, or she was part of this, uh, secret society called the Division and wanted to get away from Gallifrey and had to run away. And as a result, that's regenerated. like believable. It's expansive yeah. on the current story. Exactly. But it's just the it's just the spe- it is the specific point of the Doctor is the Timeless Child, which has caused all of the problems. Yeah. Now here's a question for you: Do we think that's actually the case? It's it seemed like incredibly solid. Stuff. 
Like, oh yeah, uh, but I don't, I don't think they'll revisit it. I think that this is what they're going for. I can see Chris Chibnall being stubborn think... enough to, to lock and load with this. I can't imagine. Well, he is, and it. I also think that I mean we might find out like. I don't think it'll change completely, but I think we'll just find out more about it through the, this whole division storyline that's probably going on, because we're clearly going to get more of that. Yeah, I hope so. I I, I hope so because I won't want them to leave it now and then just be like, "This is the new mystery for the next fifty years." Because fuck me, that would drive me insane if they don't wrap up on that, and if we're just led to believe that the Doctor is the timeless child. Because it just. I don't know. You can't I... look at you can't look at all the other incarnations of the Doctor and think they're the timeless child. It just doesn't work. I've like have you tried doing that? No, I am now though. It doesn't I, fit. Yeah. I can see what you're saying. I mean, that just bolsters Even my argument. Even thirteen, it doesn't really like. I the thing is, like with thirteen, I can see her as the Doctor. I just don't particularly enjoy what's being portrayed to me. Um. And even then, I still can't see her as the timeless child. It's this whole different entity. Yeah, I, it's a tri- It's a very brave thing for Chris Chibnall to have done by presenting the presenting us with the fact that the Doctor had a whole secret life. I mean, me personally, right? Doctor Who is the question. It's a question that it should, it, it, the thing is though, it's a rhetorical question. The mystery of the Doctor is not what's important anymore it shouldn't be what the point of the show is it should be it's an unasked question and the doctor is just going to ignore that and go off and do his or her own thing you know going to go off and have adventures and save planets and stuff like that i don't care necessarily i don't want to know what happened in the character's past Go off and do new things. Go off and see new things. Don't don't retcon a load of stuff in the history that doesn't need to be retconned because it doesn't add anything to the character. If anything, will it change the way that I look at the Doctor's past? No. Well, it. I don't know. I don't know. Depends. My answer to that would be it depends on how it plays out from that from here on out, really. If it does because, play out, yeah. Yeah. Would you have know. been... if Hypothetically, if the Timeless Child never happened, but they still added a, preview, a pre-Hartnell set of Doctors, would you have been annoyed at that? Um, it depends how they did it. It it really does depend on how, how they would do it. I would be happy knowing that there was a... The one thing that pisses me off about it... The one thing that I'm getting comfortable in my chair now because I'm getting into my swing. The one thing that I really feel uncomfortable about is the fact that Ruth has a police box TARDIS. What are the odds of that? I mean, come on. The whole point that the TARDIS is stuck in the shape of a police box is because it supposedly got stuck when he went to London with Susan in in 1963, and that's why it got stuck like that. So why would Ruth have that? That's what I don't get. I mean, you could posit that it's the same TARDIS. Yeah, but that would have to happen after after the first Doctor, if that's the case. Well, at that point, it's just a carryover from a trait that existed in the previous Doctors that they just don't remember. Well, potentially, but that'd be a weird if... coincidence if that's the case. Yeah, and, and that's why they could have bridged it a little smoother, because it could have been the fact that he, he, he stole a faulty TARDIS to escape from the Division, and that's when the whole... That's my point, yeah. You know, that, yeah, that, yeah that, that would have went better. You on that. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know. At the moment, I think it... 
it, it's one of those things of we this is all speculation at this point we need a bit more to decide how much that of it we we can lock in but i think the concept if you go back to the concept rather than the specifics it's the concept which i have a little bit more a little bit more shaky foundations with yeah yeah, I think I think that, that that is the problem. There's too much speculation at the moment. I'm just not a fan with. Yeah, I think in answer to your question, I wouldn't have minded so much. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't have minded as much as I do with them throwing it at me that the Doctor is the source of all Time Lord creation. I just hate that idea. It just to me it makes him just seem like Superman or someone who's so intrinsically linked and important to the fabric of something that makes them almost omnipotent. I just don't like that. The Doctor isn't that sort of person. You know, I've, I've said this about about David Tennant. I didn't like the God complex that they put on him. The kind of like God slash Jesus complex they, they enforced on the Doctor at that point. To me, that wasn't what the Doctor was. You know, classic 30, 40 years worth of classic Doctors preceding that weren't about the Doctor being these omnipotent, renowned historical figures. They were about someone having an adventure, dropping in somewhere and dropping out, and now we're led to believe that the Doctor is kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I guess time will tell, you know. We will find out when the next series airs, hopefully a little bit more about it, which should hopefully be later this year, until... You know, I just want to point out, you know in Fugitive of the Judoon, when they're on the um, actual ship, and mm. the 13th Doctor asks, who are you working for? And yeah. the Jadoon goes, we can't reveal that, it's confidential. Yeah. They already, the Jadoon name drops the division about 30 seconds before that. Did they? Yeah. What, by name, the division? Yeah, they said uh, something like that delivery to division. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Well, I said I didn't know that. I don't recall hearing that, even though I have seen it like yeah, nearly 20 times. I, I, I missed it until... I'll go back and check it out. Until watching it today. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know what the fuck was going on there. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, uh, an hour has spread by, as, as, as per usual. Um, bit of a bittersweet ending this week, because this is the, our last we're up to date now. We've, we've got no more new series to, re- to, to review and go over nostalgia with. Hopefully um, it'll stay that way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Fault Locators. Uh, of course, each week we talk about something we want to change or something would change about the episode we reviewed in question or the series in question. I'm going to kick off this week. Um, for me, it's not the obvious one. Uh, I think, actually, um, all things, because we don't quite know how the Timeless Child's going to play out, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to say, don't destroy Gallifrey. Stop destroying Gallifrey. Give over <laughs> with destroying Gallifrey in big capital letters. It's been done <laughs> a billion Leave Gallifrey times alone. Leave Gallifrey alone. Just let it sit at the end of time, like it was in Capaldi's era. Let them be. They're not harming anyone. It's boring. Get your own ideas, Chibnall. Cook, what have you got? Um, I have a couple of ideas, but I think... I'm really annoyed at the wasted potential of Ashad, the lone Cyberman. Um, I think they could have had a really, really solid sort of Cyberman two part at the end if that yeah. was the main if he was the main focus. Yeah, that's um, fair enough. Quite a sinister instead character. Of the, instead of the yeah, it, I mean, it's never been it's not really a concept that's been explored before, and they just flushed it down the drain. Well, there we go, Matt. What about you? 
Uh, so I am going to touch on the timeless children very, very slightly. I'm not going to touch. If you can make it very slightly because we are running out of time. <laughs> so it's not going to touch the concept. But long story short, um, it's again the sheer amount of exposition. I, yeah. The whole point about watching shows to watch it, not listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, it, they did. They did go for a full-on lore dump in that particular episode, didn't they? Just like cram it down as much as you can until you're chewing on it, and then you're like, "Well, oh, I'm fully bloated now." Yeah, I agree with that. Nice, nicely put. Nice, nice shortly put that. So it brings us to the very bittersweet ending. Um, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Let's Tardis Talk. Now we're now at the end of our new series reviews, so you're probably thinking, "Well, what the hell can we do? You know, we can't talk about anything else to do with New Who." Well, you're wrong. I tell you, wrong. Uh, it's been one heck of a ride, so we're going to carry on, but. We're going to do things differently. So from next week, we're going to venture into different territory um, and we're going to start with a retrospective look at the Daleks. So from their return in 2005's Dalek to 2020's Revolution, we'll be talking about their strong points, weak points and everything in between. So until then, it's a goodbye from us. 